You know, it's good to have you here today. We're um, starting another look at um, the, bo- the book of Joshua, now up to chapter 6. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to that chapter, either electronically or if you've got the good old hard copy version. And we're going to read through that this morning. So uh, Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. Remember they are fearful, shaking in their boots, their hearts are despondent. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight up, straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on the day they circled the city seven times, the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. She hid the spy, um, sorry, Um, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction. For by taking any of them, or by taking any of them, otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. When the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and irons are sacred to the Lord, and they must go into the treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, And the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord 
and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. Joshua said to the men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is any who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Join with me as I pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. This word that has so much of you in it is your story. As we delve into this chapter today, may these words become life to us as we see you, as we see what you would have us do this day. Guide my lips and voice, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you, um, I've left my little clicker. Thank you, Stephen, sorry. It's always something. Did you ever sing the song, Joshua won the Battle of Jericho? I'm not going to sing it because it sounds really bad on, online and it will sound pretty bad in here too, but Joshua won the Battle of Jericho. Is Joshua won the Battle of Jericho. Joshua won the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. There's a problem with that song. Joshua didn't actually fight. Joshua didn't fight a battle. He walked. He and the people of God walked around the city 13 times in seven days. He didn't fight. The song's wrong. We've told our children something that's not actually correct. But in reality... That's the walls coming down. <laughs> Joshua did fight a battle. He fought it in a different way to how we fight battles and how battles are fought. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews summarizes Joshua chapter 6. Is on. Can we have this next slide, please, Catherine? Thank you. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, Joshua won the battle. That's how Joshua and the armies won the battle of Jericho. By faith, the walls came down after the army had gone around all these times, seven, day, seven times on the last day. They fought a battle with faith. So we're going to explore today what that faith looked like, 
and what that faith is for us today as we um, live our lives as followers of Jesus. I was taught a good sermon has three points. Um, It's even better if there is alliteration, when the words all start the same or they sound the same. That's how we did it when I was younger, Um, how people I used to listen to preaching as a child would preach as well. Uh, I don't know that's exactly true. I don't preach many sermons that way. Um, uh, But there are three um, parts to my sermon today, um, but no alliteration. I want to focus on three things, three calls of God on the lives of his followers that we're going to see in this chapter. And the first one of those is that God's people are called to live by faith. God's people are called to live by faith. So what's faith? What, what is faith? We could describe faith as it's presented in the word of God as living in light of the promises of God. Living in light of the promises of God. That's how faith is revealed to us in scripture. We walk in faith because we know God's promises. We know God's promises are true and trustworthy and we walk in faith knowing those promises are for us. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter all about faith. Um, describes faith as the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of things we don't even see. So let's look at how um, God calls Joshua to live by faith. And we see that first in verse 2. Verse 2 starts off with this word of God to Joshua, see. See, Joshua. God is drawing Joshua's attention to what's about to happen. Look, take notice, focus on this, God's saying. He said, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It's already done. I've delivered Jericho into your hands. There's not a shred of doubt of this is going to be the outcome. This is going to be what happens It's kind of an echo of a promise God gave to Joshua as they were preparing to go up to the Jordan River. When Joshua first gets this this commission from God to take over from Moses. And God says to Joshua, I will give you every place where your foot treads. Wherever you go, I will give you that land, just as I promised Moses. It's not Joshua's yet. He's still got this battle ahead of him this day or coming up in in this coming week. It's not his yet. But the fact is so certain God can use past tense to describe it. This Jericho city is yours now. So Jericho is the first city that the Israelites have to encounter as they start entering this land that God has promised them. Remember what God, the call of God on the Israelites was? Here's your land, but there are people in this land and you've got to drive them out. That was the command to Joshua. The land is yours, but the people have to be driven out for you to take it. Jericho will be battle number one. If they are going to take this land that God has promised them, they have to deal first with Jericho. 
Jericho was a, was a military fortress, a city surrounded by, by walls. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, see, this, see this, this impregnable city. The doors are locked, the walls are up. Jericho, I've given it into your hands. It's yours. God's calling Joshua to walk by faith, to see with eyes of faith, not seeing now, but believing it is God's promise, trusting in the promises God has given him. So not just to have faith in God, but to walk in faith with God. And that involves following God's instructions. And God begins to give his instructions to Joshua here in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 6. God says, the city is yours, Joshua, but here's what I want you to do. You are to march around the city. For each of the coming six days to march around, the, take the whole army around the city once each day. As you read this passage, the soldiers don't get much of a mention. They're mentioned in passing, but the focus is not so much on the soldiers as the Ark of the Covenant. The, the Ark we looked at last week, that this, this, um, this symbol of God's pr- um, presence with his people. God is going into this battle with his people. God is there. He's in their midst. He's going to ac- uh, accomplish this victory that he said has already taken place. That's so, so sure. He's not remote. He's not... Um, not at arm's length. He's, he's right there among his people uh, to do his work. He's leading the people with his presence right there in the midst of them. So we see in, in, um, a little bit later in verses 8 to 11 that the army is divided into two groups. The first group leads the procession uh, with the rest of the army forming a rear guard behind this Ark of the Covenant of God. Immediately in front of the ark are seven priests. So the ark has been carried by priests. Seven more priests are in front of the ark with these trumpets, these um, ram's horn trumpets, um, which they are, are to blow each day as they march around the cities, announcing God is here, announcing the, the arrival of God to the city of Jericho. Clearly letting both Israel and these people in Jericho who are at first frightened, but then I think as we get through the week thinking, what are these guys going on about? Um, maybe their, their fear got a little bit less intense. Um, but making it clear to both parties that God is there. This is God's, this is God's battle. And the only sound during that whole procession every day is the sound of the trumpet. The soldiers are commanded to be silent. No sound, no talking, no shouting, just the crunching of their sandals on the gravel that surrounds the, the, um, the walls. Six days of these daily marches. And then on the seventh day, God says to his people, you're to walk around the walls seven times. Again, no sound, no shouting, no talking, walking in silence as I've done all week with only the sound of the trumpets blasting. And then we see in verse 4, but as you finish 
The seventh circle of the city, God says, shout. Shout for all your worth. Make a racket and then the walls will come down. Now, there have been some pretty bizarre military tactics throughout history. Things you think, what? Who would ever dream up that? Is, is my mic working? I'll start the lectern. Some bizarre um, military strategies. In the Battle of Pelusium, which you all know this battle really, really well, um, I'd never heard of it before, the battle between the Persians and the Egyptians in about 500 BC, um, the leader of, the, of Persia, um, Cambyses II, haven't heard of him before either, um, he directed his men to decorate all their weaponry, their shields and, and all, any decorations they could with cats, pictures of cats. And he even put cats at the front line of his battle, of, of, his, of his army, as they started to attack this Egyptian city. Now, if you know Egyptian mythology and theology and all of that, cats are pretty important animals to the Egyptians. Held in very high regard and um, even to the point of worshipping them. So the Egyptian armies in this city were too afraid to shoot their arrows at the army in case they wounded or killed a cat because then their life was over. And as a result, the Persians won. This one here is a little bit more up to date. During World War II, not so much up to date, but a little bit closer to our memories, um, the United Kingdom dropped matchbooks. A little, for those who don't know what matchbooks are, know, may not understand what they are, little bits of cardboard matches that are a little pocket thing that you just open up and use however you want to use matches. Um, so they, they dropped all of these around the, in, in the German, um, on the other side of the German lines. Um, instructing soldiers how to fake being sick so they could then get home and escape the war, um, be safe when they got home. Nazi um, leadership caught wind of this and they stopped sending their troops home when they claimed to be sick. So not only did this mean that some soldiers got home before the Nazis realised what was going on and spent the rest of the war in, at home, but also meant that sick soldiers who were sick were sent back to the front and they actually infected more and more people. So it kind of was an interesting strategy. God's tactics for battle seems equally bizarre. The army is to march around the city for seven days. On the seventh day, the trumpets are going to blast and that's then we'll see this amazing thing happen. So why seven days? Why silence amongst the soldiers as they marched? Why seven days? Why seven times on the seventh day? The city's already there. God has said to Joshua, this city is yours. It's yours for the taking. Why didn't God give Jericho to the Israelites on day one? It seems a waste of time. The soldiers didn't need the exercise. They'd marched a fair bit over the last 40 years. It's a little bit like the, um, the instructions that God gave to, to Joshua and the people as they came up the Jordan River and said, camp here for three days. They could have crossed the river right away. God said, wait. God says the same here at Jericho. Wait. Just like with the Jordan, God's got a purpose, had a purpose then. He's got a purpose now. 
with this battle that's going to, about to happen. I don't know, know about you, but um, when I want something, I kind of want it now. Um, I want day seven now, as soon as I know that something's going to happen. Uh, and I don't think I'm, I'm seeing some nods and grunts and groans. I think I'm not a, alone uh, in that feeling. We, we, we want results now, but we live in an instant society. That probably doesn't help, that sense of wanting things now. But, but we want answers to prayer now. We, we want God's promise to us fulfilled now. We want the victory. We, we want the, the reward now. We, we don't want the waiting. So why do we have to endure day one, day two, however long it takes for us to wait for God to act? Why? Because God's got something to teach us in those days of waiting. And he calls us, as he called the Israelites marching around that city, to be silent, to wait. Wait for God's timing. Wait for God, trusting in God's promise as they wait. Some of you today may be in day two or day three or day five, whatever it might be, of waiting. Waiting in a difficult season of life. And it can be really, really hard to be just there waiting for God to do something. You feel stuck. Nothing's changing. And you're becoming tired. You're becoming weary by this waiting, this holding pattern that you're in. You pray and you pray and you pray. You can't see how God's working. Is God working? Where is he? Why doesn't he fix things now? Why doesn't he act? Has he abandoned me? Does he really hear my prayers? And you don't want to be quiet. You want to scream, God, please come, do something. The Lord calls Joshua to see what he's about to do. Day one to day six, nothing happens. Just walking. Walking in silence to the sound of trumpets. And as they walk around, not even a hint of what's going to do. No little cracks in the wall, nothing tumbling down as they, as they walk around. The wall was rock solid the day they started walking on day seven, just as it had been on day one. But the people did what God asked them to do. They did as they had done the last six days. They just walked around the city Walked and walked, this time once, twice, three times, four, five, six. And still nothing happens. Did they feel like giving up on that sixth time around the city? Was it worth going on, going around the city one more time? We know the story. It was worth it. Here's my encouragement to you and wherever or whatever's going on in, in your life today. Keep walking. Don't give up. Don't give up in this time of waiting. 
And that encouragement is for us as individuals, it's for us as, as a church. Keep walking, keep remembering the promises of God. Think back to the stones that I talked about and some of you took away last week. Those reminders of who God is. Those reminders of God's presence with you. What God has done for you, for us as a church. What God is going to do tomorrow, the next day, the next year. Let's keep trusting him whether you're in day one or day six or however long that waiting is. Day seven will come. And with it the fulfilment of all God's promises and purposes. Not always the way that we would have been praying and wanting, but God acts. It's the faithful perseverance of the walk that battles are won. So the first call of God is that we are to walk by faith. The second is that God's people are called to take down strongholds. Archaeologists believe that um, the walls surrounding Jericho were, um, or the, the, the walls that included the, the, the city that included the walls, um, covered an area of about three and a half hectares. Now, if you think in terms of acres, it's nine acres. So, three and a half hectares is kind of the, 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 um, the area that the city of Jericho took up. Just to give you some perspective on that, the um, the playing field of the MCG is about 2.6 hectares. Jericho, three and a half. The MCG stadium itself, you went right out to the edges of the, of the stadium, is about four and a half hectares. So Jericho is a city about a little bit bigger than the playing field of the MCG, not quite as big as the full stadium. So it's, it's not a huge city. Archaeologists suggest that for a city this size, the size of the MCG, there would be a population of about 600 people inside its walls. Israelites, two and a half million people. Now, they're all marching, this is the soldiers marching around the city, but a much bigger population. So, the issue for the Israelites is not the city. The issue are the walls. Walls that were probably 14 metres high and about two metres thick. These were the walls that were stopping the Israelites from realising the promise God had given them that Jericho was theirs. Get rid of the walls, the city is relatively easy to take. Today we don't have to worry about um, storming the walls of a city or the walls of a state or a nation to realise what God has promised to us. But in our lives there still are walls that need to be dealt with. Walls that need to be broken down. Walls that, that keep us from being the people God has called us to be. Walls that prevent us from experiencing all that God has promised us as his followers, as his children. Walls that are built out of all sorts of, of material. Now, my mic's going to die here. I'm not sure what's going on, but you may not hear me. I'm not a great builder, so I'm hoping my wall is not going to come down uh, just yet. So, what, what, are the, what are the walls that we might have in our life? 
Walls made out of substance abuse, walls made out of lust, maybe pornography or, or, want, um, or lustful thinking. What about shopping? A, an addiction to shopping. Social media can be an addiction. What about work? Maybe work consumes all our thinking. And, um, or working out. I don't have that problem for myself um, as an issue, but I probably should. Um, not all these things are bad. Okay, I'll say that now. All the things that we're talking about here are bad, but they can consume us. They can be barriers to what God would have us um, be uh, putting our focus on. Sometimes our walls are built out of material like doubt or pride. Coveting things that aren't ours. Being jealous. Sometimes there are challenges of life that become walls in our lives. Financial challenges, relational challenges. Bitterness, forgiveness, criticism can be walls that we've built up in our minds. Or maybe even walls of indifference to Jesus. Neglect of Jesus in our life. Maybe even disobedience to what he calls us to. Walls of all kinds. Walls that we see in front of us that stop that relationship with God in some way. We become so, so focused on these walls that are part of our lives, whatever they may be, these strongholds in our lives. And God would say, as he said to Joshua, these walls need to come down. But how do we bring them down? How do we deal with these sort of walls in our lives. What can we learn from Joshua and the people in chapter 6? First, they listened to what God had to say and then they were silent. They listened to what he said and then they were silent. There's no, oh, did God really say that? I, I think my plan's better than God's plan. I think I know better how I'm to live my life. It's none of that. They listened, they were silent, and they obeyed what was a bizarre military strategy. Did it make any sense? Probably not. But they did what the Lord commanded. Six days of silent marching, silent contemplation, silent remembering of God and what he promised for them. And the seventh day, a day that's normally a day of rest, they marched around the city seven more times and filled the air with these shouts and the walls came tumbling down. Paul talks about the strongholds that we need to deal with in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Let me just read this. For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul says here that our battle is to destroy strongholds. The stronghold here is in the minds, what's going on in our minds, the things that we fill our minds. Anything that you make an idol in your life can be a stronghold. All of these things, other things you might want to put up on that wall, can be strongholds in your mind. And the Bible says we are to tear them down. Paul says we're to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. To take captive every thought, to transform our minds, to take these things that are stopping us from living how God wants us to live and take them captive. The Greek word here means to to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. Every thought obedient to Christ to bring it into submission, to bring it under control. We do that by praying, asking God to help us uh, to fill our minds with him, not these other things that are taking control, to replace the things that we focus on with a focus on him. Now, there's a lot more I could say about how we deal with and how we deal with these strongholds. Uh, We'll come back to that next week um, if you know what happens in chapter 7. And speaking of, of seven, um, there's a lot of sevens in this chapter, in chapter six of, of Joshua. Seven priests, seven ram, uh, ram's horn trumpets. On the seventh day, uh, the priests march around the walls seven times and they find the walls come down. The number seven is important in scripture. It's the number of perfection, the number of completion, creation. God's goal for us is to be a new creation. He talks about that in, in the New Testament. God's goal for us is to be, to be complete, to be whole. But it requires trust in him to tear down those walls that stand before us, between us and between our God and all that God has for us. God's people are called to tear down strongholds. So what belief, what habit, what practice? What challenge stands between you and God? What's getting in the way between you and God and what God has for you? What are you seeing instead of seeing God? These walls that are in place of where God should be. We can spend all our time looking at these walls, focusing on these things, being intimidated by these walls, giving in to the walls, instead of turning our eyes to the one who can bring them down flat. And we'll talk more about that, as I said, next week. So let's just remove the walls. I don't want to... Sorry. Let's be people who turn down... Who um, turn down... Who tear down strongholds. Once we've invited God to deal with the walls in our lives, to help us take control of them and to do battle with what's going on in our minds, we realise, we we receive this life, this freedom, this victory that we have in Christ. We experience greater intimacy with God as we walk in step with him. 
So the first call that God has on his people here in Joshua 6 is that they're to walk by faith. The second call is that we're to take down these strongholds that control our minds. And the final call we see in chapter 6 is that God calls us to holiness. God calls his people to holiness. And we see that in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you may not bring them about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and trouble in it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted and sounded the trumpet when the, men, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. This is holiness. This is an example of holiness in Scripture, the holiness God calls the Israelites to. The people destroying those things that could easily entangle them, as well as dedicating the, the spoils of war to the temple of God. Destroying in one hand, devoting, uh, devoting to God in the other. This is a sweet picture. You can go into many um, church creches and see pictures like this on the wall. We tell these lovely stories to children of Noah's in the ark. We have toys that celebrate. Kids can play with animals and, and, um, and boats and things in, in, as they retell the story. But this is an horrific, shocking story. The story of salvation for a few but death and destruction for everyone else. Several years ago, our granddaughters were watching a, um, a production of Noah's Ark. We, Glenda and I went to a, a place in the States when we were there called Light and Sound Theatre in Lancaster, in Pennsylvania. And they, every year they do, I think, two or three epic, or, um, live productions, musicals of epic Bible stories. And we went to see Joshua um, in, in the time we were there. So we had some videos of other stories that they've done. We can watch them on, on, on TV as well. And the girls are watching this wonderful story of Noah's Ark, done incredibly well, until it got to the flood part of it and people trying to get back into the boat, or getting into the boat. And the girls said, wow, all those people died? They'd heard this story many, many times. But suddenly it dawned on them, wow, this is, this is terrible. This is sad. All those people died. We sing a fun song about the walls of Jericho tumbling down. Great victory. But includes the slaughter of hundreds of people. Many people find it hard to understand and grasp why God would use his people as instruments of destruction, instruments to annihilate a whole city. And the answer begins in remembering who God is. God is God. He's the God of righteousness and omniscience. And therefore, whenever and wherever and however God decides 
and chooses to judge. His judgment is always just. He's a God who knows the end from the beginning. We also need to understand that the inhabitants of the city Jericho had degenerated in some of the most vile and evil humans the world has known. Archaeologists have given us a glimpse of how evil the Canaanites who, who lived in this land that is right to take over, including Jericho, um, how, what they become, what they were involved in. Bestiality, incest, molestation, forced prostitution, child sacrifice were, were everyday, part of everyday life. In fact, the whole land had become so contaminated by evil, God, who sees the big picture, decided it was time to act. They had to be removed. And he told, chose the Israelites to do it. Moses taught the people in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 5. It's not because of your, saying this to the, to the Israelites, it's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Judgment is always God's last resort. In this case, it came after generations of depravity and evil and vile things. In Leviticus 18, um, he, he says, for by all these things, all the things that have been going on in these nations, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. The land has become unclean, so I will punish its iniquity and the land vomited out of its inhabitants. It's pretty strong stuff. This is Old Testament thinking and practising. Um, I'm not suggesting God does this today in the same ways. But there's one person in Jericho who was not like the rest of the inhabitants of the city. Her name was Rahab, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The one person in this whole city whom God deemed was righteous. One person, probably out of 600 people, at least, the person God led the spies to. And as a result of that encounter, Rahab and her family were saved. If there were more righteous in the city, we can assume God would have protected them as well. I don't know if you remember the story when God was about to destroy um, the city of Sodom and Abraham comes to Moses and says, God, if you could find 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God says, yes, I will. And Abraham becomes quite bold. He says, what about 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? And every time God says, yes, I will spare the city. But there were not 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom. There was one family, Lot, his wife and two children. And God rescued them before he destroyed that city. So God rescues uh, Rahab. Um, we see that in, in um, verse 22 to 25 of how um, God sent these spies to go and get Rahab, take her out uh, and, and take her and her family and put them safe in the camp outside the city. In verse 24, Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among Israelites today. 
This is the gospel. This is the message that people, you and me, like those in Jericho, we deserve destruction for our evil. But Jesus saves. We're now on this side of the Old and New Testament. Jesus saves. He redeems us. Not because of anything we do, but because we put our belief in the God who sent him. The final part of this chapter is a call to holiness. The call to us to put off that, that weight of sin that so easily entangles us and which turns our hearts away from God. To destroy that. But our call to holiness isn't just ridding ourselves of all that gets in the way with our relationship with the Lord. It's also about dedicating all that's holy, all that's good to him. Not just giving over to God those things in our lives that need destroying and cutting off, pulling down, but giving him those things that we hold on to that should be God's instead. What are we holding on to that belong to God? What gift, what, what, what talent, what ability, what, what resource, what time? What is God calling you to give to him for his glory, for his purpose, but you're keeping it to yourself? This is holiness, dedicating to God all that we are, all that we have. The song we may have once sung, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, is not completely wrong after all. Joshua did fight the battle. The people fought with him. They fought the battle by walking in faith, by being obedient to what God had called them to do. They fought the battle by tearing down strongholds. They fought the battle by giving themselves wholeheartedly, completely to God and holiness. All the good things dedicated to God, everything else destroyed. These calls are our calls today as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, please. Please help us to be people of faith, to keep trusting you, to have patience and hope as we wait for you to act. Help us to keep walking with you. Help us by revealing those things that are walls and strongholds in our lives. The things we spend too much time focused on. Not always bad things, but things that distract us from you. Remind and bring to our mind um, those things that need to be cut off, to be put aside, that we might be obedient to you. Those things that we keep to ourselves, recognising, Father, that, that, that every good gift comes from you. We, may, we, may we give that back to you. Help us to be fully devoted to you in every aspect of our lives. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.